in your worship folder is an outline. There are no um, fill-ins this time, but there are some verses and there's some questions. I know a lot of groups are using these for their um, group discussion time. There's some of that there. And I'm going to try to get my stuff where it needs to be here. All right, we are in a series, um, in week two of a series, um, called Stranger People. And I know some of you came in and you see, um, you, you see the, the logo thing up here and it reminds you of something. And I asked this last week and I'm just going to ask again this week just because I'm curious. It doesn't matter what the answer is, correct or not. How many of you um, know about or have seen the series on Netflix, Stranger Things? Can I see your hands? Oh my goodness, this is even more in this service. For, um, we're having a little bit of fun with this. Um, we're not saying that this is something that you need to watch. You know, If we're going to promote TV, then um, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock on Fox is a Billy Graham special. You need to see it. I don't know anything about it. I just know Franklin Graham, his son, said you need to see it. So I trust him and 6 o'clock tonight on Fox. Anyhow, we're not promoting this as a series, I mean as a, as a TV show. We're just using it for a little fun because the truth is we are to be, and this is what we're talking about in the series, stranger people um, in the eyes of the world. And so when I keep saying things like um, the upside down world, those who don't know the series don't know what it is, so this probably won't help you any. But it'll be, I'm throwing a bone to those who do watch the series. So very quickly, just watch. There's no spoilers here if you haven't seen the whole thing. Um, This is part two. That's why we put the Stranger Things 2 up there. Actually, the reason I like that clip is just because it's got really good bass in it. When I'm standing up here on a platform, I can feel it vibrating. (laughs) I like that. They always ask me during, you know, for the worship stuff is, uh, how is the bass? And it's like, if my shirt moves... Back there, it's good. If my shirt doesn't move, it needs to be turned up a little bit. Anyhow, here's what this series is. We're just actually walking through the book of 1 Peter. And, and, and what Peter is saying to people is, um, remember last week we talked about this. If you weren't here last week, um, you can go to iloverchurch.com and uh, all the messages are online there. You can listen to them for free or download them. There's also some CDs in the back. But last week we learned that Peter wrote this letter to uh, Christians who were under intense, severe persecution, more than we could ever fathom. Um, and uh, this persecution is going on. The guy who was in charge, the emperor in charge uh, at the time was Nero, who was known as the, the crazy guy. And he was, although he was persecuting Christians, it stepped up a little bit. Nero had this insatiable desire to build. He wanted to build, and, and sometimes in order to build, you had to take down what was there. And so um, the the one of the theories is, um, in A.D. 64, I think, Rome burned, and it burned for like six days or something like that, and then after they finally got the fire under control, put it out, and then it started up again and burned for three more days. And the theory is he's the one who started it, or had it started, um, so that he could take the buildings down, so that he could build his new stuff. And when it didn't work quite the way he wanted and the Senate was upset, he was able to blame the Christians for it. And so the persecution went from seriously intense to off the charts and it was dangerous to be a Christian they were being killed they were in the you know this is where you read about them going in where the lions were and being burned alive and all this stuff and what Peter's doing is he's writing to them during this time it's pretty hard to say oh just be happy everything's good it's all good because it wasn't all good what he was telling them is this world is not your home And so we should appear different. We should be, in the world's eyes, stranger to those around us. And and that's what it was about. So because the world wasn't your home, 
you're called to be strange. Now, I know a lot of people take that seriously. <laughs> and when they're called to be strange, they do it in a little different way than we're talking about. But that's okay. We're all different. But you're supposed to be called, for instance, to be a little bit stranger in the world's eyes and your values. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. You're called to be different in your, in your passions. That from the world's perspective, the things we're passionate about, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our resources, the way we use the things that we have is going to appear strange to a world that is looking at us as the upside-down world. And the truth is, they are, and we look different and strange because of it. It will affect the way you parent. It will look strange to people. It will affect the way you work, the way you interact with people at work. Because it will appear strange to them. So let me read the first part of our passage from from 1 Peter today. It's right on the heels of what we went through last week. And it starts with a word that will cause us to stop for just a second. In verse, um, starting in verse 13, he says, therefore. And you remember, whenever you see therefore, you look and see what it's there for. That's actually what we talked about last week. That's the first part of his whole section. The previous section that talked about receiving salvation. And being called to this wonderful salvation and having this hope. And that was that section. And this is just right on the heels of that. He says on the basis of that, therefore, we talk about receiving that salvation. This next section is going to be, it should direct and influence and result in life change. If this happened, this should happen. He says, therefore, on the basis of all that, with minds that are alert and fully sober, which means we have to be paying attention in this dark, upside-down, twisted world that we're in. We have to be paying attention. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. The world that they were in was crazy upside-down. The world that we're in is crazy upside-down. And he's saying, you need to be alert and sober and paying attention to this and you need to not set your hope here. You need to set it on the grace that's going to be brought to you when Jesus Christ comes back. And he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires. That means like be squeezed into their mold. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance before they knew Jesus. But just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, that means God doesn't, you know, he doesn't have grade on a curve. He, he's, you do something wrong, there's consequences for it. He says, so you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And that word foreigners is temporary residents. In other words, he's saying this world is not your home. You're foreigners here. You're temporary residents here. You're just passing through this world. So here's one of our biggest problems and biggest obstacles. And, and I would like to say I hope this doesn't offend you, but I, I don't care if it does. That's how important this is. For some of you, maybe for many of you, the greatest obstacle to following Jesus is your desire to fit in with whatever that sphere of influence around you is your greatest desire is to fit in instead of follow Jesus 
And that's your greatest obstacle to following Jesus. And the problem with that whole mindset is God didn't create you to fit in. He didn't call you to just fit in. He called us to stand out, to be stranger people. God never says you're supposed to blend in. He says you're supposed to be set apart. And that will appear strange to people, but that's what we're called to do. We're told not to conform to the patterns of this world in Romans 12, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to be different. So let me ask you this. Why in the world would you want to be normal anyways? Have you looked around to see what normal is? I don't mean in here. Don't look around right now. I meant the world that we're in. You know what normal is? Normal in this world is broken. Normal is hurting. Normal is stressed out. Normal is hating your job. Normal is horrible divorce. Normal is unable to sleep because of stress. Normal is afraid. Normal is anxious. Normal is, as the ladies will discover on a retreat in a couple weeks, normal is a hot mess. That's what normal is. I don't want anything to do with normal. I want to get off the normal road. You know what I'm saying? Jesus said there is a normal road. What we just described, there is a normal road. This is not on the screen or in your outline, but in Matthew 7, Jesus said this. He's talking about the kingdom and how to get into the kingdom. He says, enter through the narrow gate. He said, for wide is the gate and broad is the way, is the road that leads to destruction. Easy to find, he said. Many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. See, the normal road is that big road that's easy to find. The problem is it leads to destruction. So, a little caveat for this message here. If you're here today and you are perfect, this message is not for you. You get a bye today. You dot in the foyer, have a cup of coffee, relax, you don't have to hear it. Um, and if you're new here, in case you're new here and you're wondering, is the pastor perfect? You can pretty much ask anybody who's not new here, and they'll tell you he's not. Okay? There is nobody perfect. What this is all about today, what, why does this matter? We talk about being different, being holy, being stranger. Let's just jump into verse 14 again. It says this. As obedient children, remember, you can only become a child of God His way. You'll get adopted in His family, it says, but as many as received Him to them, He gave the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to become children of God. Everybody's not a child of God. Those who receive Jesus as Savior are. And He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, so remember, he's writing to people who have already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief and become Christians. And he's saying, when you lived in ignorance and you, though you conformed to all those evil desires, don't do that now as obedient children. But just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. For it is written, be happy because I am happy. Is that what it says? No. Just as he who called you is happy, be happy. That's what too many people wanted to say. Because for so many people today, especially in the Western version here in America of Christianity, so many people believe God's highest calling and purpose for our lives is our happiness. 
Now, does he want us happy? Yes. We did a whole series on that from the book of Philippians. The problem is, happiness and real joy are two different things. Because we just sometimes want to be happy. And happy is based on happenings. And happenings don't always make us happy. And we don't always have control over the happenings in our life. And sometimes happenings can be unhappy. But there's something greater. There's this joy that can come from a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. And Peter's writing to people whose happenings would not make people happy. You see, so many people believe wrongly that God's highest calling is your happiness. God's highest calling is not your happiness. It's your holiness. Here's what happens. People want to be happy. So they pursue happiness as followers of Jesus and hope that holiness comes along. And what happens is they are neither happy nor holy. When you pursue holiness, happiness is a byproduct of that because it's not the most important thing. It's important and God wants that, but the holiness is where the calling is. I call this a theology of happiness. And too many believers have this. And what it does is it, like, it, it validates our personal justification of whatever situation we're in. Because I'm supposed to be happy. God wants me happy. And since I'm not happy, I'm kind of allowed to do something that might otherwise be wrong. Because of course he wants me happy. And I need to do this in order to be happy. And here's some examples. I'm going to try to offend everybody in this. So if you get left out, I'm sorry. Leave me a note. I'll try real hard to offend you next time. There are people who would say, I'm not happy in my marriage. No, I'm not, this is not me. I'm happy in my marriage. Okay? But there are people who say, I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'm leaving. And they say that because the number one goal is happiness. I believe, after almost 35 years of marriage, I am happier in my marriage every day. I'm way happier now than I was when we started. And I was happy then. Here's what I believe. I believe marriage is not primarily for our happiness. It's for our holiness. A byproduct of that will be the happiness. But if all you're looking for is the happiness, when the happiness goes away, so does the commitment. Hmm? Not happy anymore. Time for something else. Or we, we, we're in a financial situation maybe, but we see this thing over here, you know? We said in our family, you got a bad case of the I wants. <laughs> I want this. And you see that, I want this. I can't afford it. It's not really in the plan right now, but I really want it, and I need to have that. I can't afford it, but i got to get this thing, and one way or another I'm going to do it. And you make the decision because your happiness is what's important, and you end up going into debt. We describe that here as, as buying things you don't need with money you don't have to please people you don't like. But if our happiness is the primary thing, that's what we're going to end up doing. Or here, if I haven't stepped on enough toes, maybe you're dating, which means you're not married, which according to God in Genesis and according to Jesus in the New Testament, you don't have sex until you're married. That's how it works. Jesus said that. So you're dating, and yeah, yeah I know the Bible says that. I know we should wait, but we're in love. God will understand. And after all, we're going to get married. And you compromise. And you compromise because I kind of know what God says, but kind of want to be happy. 
And then when the consequences come, you know what we do every time? Blame God. And God's like, I don't think he really says this, but to me he does. <laughs> Duh! What did you think was going to happen? So we have this theology of happiness, and sometimes we compromise what we know is right because we think being happy is the most important thing. When we believe that God wants us happy above all else, then discomfort and delay and risk and suffering that we go through certainly can't be God's will. If happiness is the main thing he wants and without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, and pleasure, and things. If you have the theology of happiness, here's what you believe. God is here to serve me because my happiness is most important. Spoiler alert. God is not here to serve you. You are here to serve God. We are here to be holy. That's what this passage says. Be holy because I'm holy. What's holy? Hagios is the word, holy, and it's translated holy, but it means, it means set apart. You have the normal here, and then you have the set apart, which would be strange, in other words. Okay? It, it's special. Literally, it's, it's stranger people. That's what it literally means. So, I have, as pastor here, I have the unique and distinct privilege of having, at the moment, all my kids around me close. Uh, three of them are at the, the men's retreat right now, but the, the, the wives are here. But I have the privilege of having them close at the moment, and that's an incredibly huge blessing. It's really great for us. But along with that is the reality that you get to see everything. I've shared this verse before, and Lord willing, I'll get to share it many more times. Okay, It's not on the screen, but in 3 John, he writes this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the greatest joy for me. But as you watch me, as you watch my kids, are they perfect? Nope. Are they going to make mistakes? Yep. I can make mistakes? Yep. See, here's the thing, though. My kids love Jesus. They're following him. And they each have a value system that I'm proud of. Now, did we try raising them? Did we try to force feed them each and every single value that was important to us? That's not what we did. We weren't shooting for clones. Okay? Here's what we did. The values that we lived and that we strive to impart can be summed up in two things. Follow Jesus. And have the courage to be strange. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to appear strange to an upside down world. So that's what we tried to impart to them. And we mo early on we modeled that. So it shouldn't surprise you that from the very beginning I've been modeling being strange. Because I am strange and that's how it works. But here's the thing. You cannot expect to raise children who are different from the world if you are not. It doesn't happen that way. So we lived what we wanted them to become. That's what we lived. We strive to be the same, as, same at home as we were when we were in church. I'll explain the church thing later. It bothers me to say that, but I'll explain that later. Uh, how many of you saw the, the Billy Graham funeral? 
if you didn't, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's on YouTube, and I'm going to watch the rest of it this week. Um, and, and as I said, there's a special on tonight at 6. It'd be good to watch. But um, I watched a few clips of it here and some of his kids talk and things. And one of the things I heard that, that, that struck a, a very strong chord with me was one of his kids said in describing Billy Graham, there weren't two Billy Grahams. That's huge. The same person that was on the world stage speaking to over 215 million people face-to-face, face-to-face. I, I got the privilege of going to his place, the big retreat place he has um, near his home there. And um, I was walking down one of the aisles going from one place to another place, and it just blew my mind. It was a pretty big, long aisle. The entire aisle was filled with pictures of him meeting with dignitaries and, and, and what people would consider important people by the thousands. But they said, you know, there weren't two Billy Grahams. Same at home, same as he was here. I absolutely love that. I have always attempted to make that true about me. I used to say it this way, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. That's what it's about. I want people to say about me, there weren't two Tim Adamses. And now I have to say that there actually were two Tim Adamses for a short time. In Bible college, one, they would assign you dorms and assign you rooms, and you didn't get to pick that. You'd go, and if you came in, they told you what dorm you were in, and you'd go to that dorm, and then there would be a sheet on the dorm that would have the rooms listed and the names of the people in the room, so you didn't pick your roommate, you just got put in there. So I, I'd give them my name to Adams, they'd tell me what dorm to go to, i go to the dorm, i look at the sheet on the door, and it's for right up near the top, it says Tim Adams, I've always been alphabetical, so Tim Adams, so it tells me what room. So I walk in, and there's like four bunks in that room, there's four people going to be in that room, and I walk in, all the bunks are full, beds are made, stuff's all in there, it's like, wait a minute, look on the door, has room number, it says Tim Adams, it's like, yeah, that's me, somebody stole my room already, I've been better five minutes, <laughs> come to find out a few minutes later, there was another Tim Adams from New Jersey, was a freshman that year, came in, saw his name, took the room, there was another room that said Tim Adams on it too. We didn't know which one of us was which. Um, and, and we knew right away, this could be fun. Because <laughs> they weren't aware of it yet. And so we had a little bit of fun with that. But Tim Adams and I became good friends. And he had a motorcycle as well. And we um, were going to his house. He lived in New Jersey. We were going to his house. And I don't know if we were going or coming. It doesn't matter. We're, we're driving down one of these roads in New Jersey. And there's where to, where to light. We see the light up here, it's green, and we're going to go, and, and, and just as we get to the intersection, a lady pulls right in front of us. I shouldn't say that. A car. doesn't matter what sex the person was driving it. It's a car. It's, okay? <laughs> i got to be careful. I can't offend absolutely everybody. A person driving a car pulled in front of us. I was on the right. I, I swerved out of the way. I almost went in the ditch. He couldn't go anywhere and hit the car. Rolled over the top of it. He was okay, but they need to take him to the hospital, make sure nothing's busted up, that he's, everything's all right. Very, very panicky situation, obviously. The ambulance comes, and, and it's like, I'm, I'm just going to follow you to the hospital. And he looked at me, and, and I didn't realize, I was just a kid at that time, I didn't realize the ambulance was going to go really fast. I had a pretty fast motorcycle. So I kept up with it. I didn't know until later I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> 
But I get to the hospital, and he didn't, I don't know if he didn't have his ID, or it was on his bike, or his backpack, or whatever. Um, and so the lady said, you're with him, right? I said, yeah. She says, um, what's his name? I said, Tim Adams. She says, okay, she writes it down. She said, um, for the record here, what's your name? I said, Tim Adams. <laughs> now, just to show you, I wasn't the only stupid person there. You know what her next question was? Are you brothers? <laughs> Like, yeah, my mom couldn't think of any more names. <laughs> you know, it's just that. I, I, no, no, I'm trying to explain it. So, so she called the doctor over, and she's whispering, but it's like she's three feet away. This one's in shock. <laughs> you have to watch him. <laughs> so for a brief time, there were two Tim Adamses. Fortunately, we both lived the same way, um, and, and it made things good. But the, the, the truth is, I want people to be able to say about me, there weren't two Tim Adamses. What you saw on stage, what you saw in Walmart, what you saw at home, what you saw in the car, it was the same person. It wasn't fake and different things. And the truth is, for all of us, God is calling us to be holy in all we do. The way we are holy in our family may be slightly different than how you are holy, okay? The standards that we set in our family may be a little different than the standards you set, and that's okay, but here's the bottom line. We're seeking God for standards in His Word. It's not just about what we think. We should all be seeking God and, and, and what we believe would please Him. That's the bottom line. So, in fact, Peter goes on to say this, and I want to look at a verse we just looked at, but I want to look at it in another translation because I love the way the, the New Living Translation puts this. In verse 14, he says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. How many of you know that you can, you can slip into sin? Can you know that? Yeah. Liars, you all know that that can happen. You don't, you don't plan on it. it. You fall into that temptation. It just sneaks up on you and you slip into it. I've heard the story a thousand times. I could tell the story a thousand times. But you know what? I've never, ever had anybody come up to me to say, I slipped into righteousness. I was just walking along, not paying attention, and boom, I was holy. That's never happened. Because that, you know, I tripped and became holy. It doesn't work that way. And the reason it doesn't is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who's trying to trip us up, and he's very subtle. He's very sneaky in how he does it. Never have I had him come up to me and say, Tim, and tempt me to tempt me with, I think you should be a Satan worshiper. And I think you should sacrifice goats in your pool bar. He's never had that thought come to me. Because he's sneaky. You know what he does to me? He does to me, I'm pretty sure, the exact same thing he does to you that he has done from day one. He whispers in your ear, did God really say, and then fill in the blank. He, says, he said the same thing to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? And he gets us to question what God said in his word. Did God really say that you can't watch that dirty video? Did he really say that? I don't remember reading that in the Bible anywhere. 
Did God really say that that music that has the really bad language and message is bad? Did God really say that? Because I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Did God really say that gossip is a sin? Well, you know, if you think it is, just do it in the form of a prayer request and share it with people, and then you can share it to your heart's content, you know? Did God really say that you're not supposed to post half-naked pictures on Instagram? That's not in the Bible anywhere, you know? And you're thinking, oh my goodness, Tim, I'm not that bad. I'm a lot better than a lot of people. You know how many times I've heard that? Here's the problem. A lot of people aren't the standard. You can't say it's okay because a lot of people do it. A lot of people have been known to be wrong on most occasions, actually. I put right in your outline questions, like I said, for, for small group discussion and stuff later, but I don't usually do this, but I'm actually going to read through those right now because I want you to get thinking about them. Because as you share those later, I want this to be something that's in your head and that you're thinking about. So here's some questions for reflection later in your group. The first one is, what are three areas I struggle most trying to fit in? That's going to be tough. It's not going to be tough to figure out what our three areas. It's going to be tough to say that to somebody else. Here's three areas that I struggle with trying to fit in. And I know that if push comes to shove, there will be times when I'll make a decision that I shouldn't make because I want to fit in. And I'll justify it thinking it's not that bad because I want to fit in. The next one says, when is the time I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? And every one of us would have a testimony about that. If I said, is there somebody who could share a story with the time that you put your happiness above God's holiness and it didn't work out right, we would have a really big line of people up here ready to share. Because we've all been in that situation. The truth is, every time we put our happiness above God's call for holiness, it won't end well because there are consequences to what we do. But what's the time that I did that? The next one is, what are the biggest ways that I am a stranger in the world's eyes? And then celebrate those things. Those are victories. Here's ways that I am being holy, that I am following Jesus on, that I'm not going to compromise on these things. Celebrate those things. Those are good things. And the last one is, what is one area that God wants me to be stranger in the world's eyes? So it doesn't matter how good or bad you're doing, there's an area because every single person hearing this today has the next step to take. And for you, what's the one area that God is saying, this is your next step? You need to be stranger in the world's eyes in this area. You need to not conform and be squeezed into their mold. Not, you need to not do this just so that you will fit in and be normal. What's one area? So when we talk about holiness, what, why does this even matter? What's the big deal? He says in verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, things that decay and go away, such as silver or gold, which is interesting because those are the things that the world thinks are so important. And he just describes them as perishable things. You know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. That's the upside down world. The empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. That's not what saved you. He says, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You see, everybody, including these people Peter was writing to, is in the same boat. We are dead in need of a Savior. And that's not being saved by stuff, by happiness, by silver or gold or friends or anything. It's, it's what Jesus did. That's the answer. And it's by focusing on Him. That's the answer. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God had that plan all along to save you because you need it saved. And He sent Jesus to do that. And verse 21 says, Through Him, that's Jesus, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It's all because of Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is unblemished, it said, without blemish or defect. And God says, be holy, because I am holy. And we look at that standard. He says, be holy, for I am holy. The key is, it's because of who he is. And because of what he's done, that I want to be holy. You see, in my life, in my walk with God, this is not what I do because I have to. It's become what I do because I want to. Because he's changed me. You see, we're not talking about behavior modification. We're not talking about realizing this area of my life is bad, I need to be more holy in this area of my life, let's switch that up. Uh, you don't have to show me your hands. Uh, you know how many have tried that and it doesn't work real well? Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you get to a certain point and you think, yeah, I got this, and then you fall again. That's, we're not talking about behavior modification here. We're talking about spiritual transformation. You want to be holy? Great. We're called to be holy. That's the good news. Bad news? You can't. But He can. He can change us from the inside out. Because too many people think living holy is the path to Jesus. And it's actually the exact opposite. Knowing Jesus is the path to holiness. The more we know Him, the closer we are to Him, the more that becomes a reality in our life. I struggled with how to end this. Because that's actually the end. But I got to thinking about this, and God kind of woke me up with something I was looking at in the morning one morning, and He said, when a person comes to Jesus, crosses that line and becomes a believer. You get a whole lot of things. We looked at that in the last series. But one of the things you get is you get new eyes and new ears. You see things differently. Someone who doesn't know Jesus can't see things the same way that someone who knows Jesus can. Because, because of the Spirit, you see things differently. You'll be in a difficult situation in the midst of something um, huge, and when you have spiritual eyes, you can see that as an incredible opportunity. And you can see how God could use that and use you in that, and it becomes an, an incredible part of you being the part of the kingdom. Somebody without spiritual eyes just sees that and is like, oh, that's horrible, that sucks. And the problem is when we don't see things with spiritual eyes and we react that way, we offer no hope to the world. Somebody without spiritual eyes sees somebody who's a nut job. You know, that person's crazy. That's all they see. 
Somebody with spiritual eyes sees somebody that we call EGR people, extra grace required. They're like that because they're hurting. They're broken. And God can use us to be the instrument, just like he used people in my life to, to help me not be as broken. But when we have those spiritual eyes, we can see those things. We can see. I know that, that this, is, this is a place where um, we, we talk about any, anyone can come to Journey in Our Church. It's a place for anyone. It's not a place for everyone. Because not everyone can handle what we do here. It's messy ministry. I wouldn't trade it for a billion dollars. I absolutely love what happens here. As an example, um, we have um, like 20, 25 kids coming in here every Monday night um, during Celebrate Recovery for the landing, which is like the teenage version of Celebrate Recovery. Kids who need Jesus, kids who are hurting, kids who don't look like church kids. And when you have spiritual eyes, you don't go, oh, look at, they tracked mud in my building. You say, oh, look, there's somebody who needs Jesus. How can I love on them? Because that's how I got here. And that's how I would want someone to respond to me. And that's how I want to respond to other people. That only comes when you get closer to Jesus. And the holiness comes from the inside out. Because the more you know Christ, the easier it is to be holy. Here's the problem with those incredible spiritual eyes and ears we get. Sin dulls your senses. And when we compromise in little areas, it's like the blinders, the shades get pulled down. And the sin that we compromise on because we, our happiness is more important dulls what we see and doesn't allow us to see a hurting world through Jesus' eyes. And doesn't allow us to be the salt and the light that the world needs. And all of a sudden, we're not appearing stranger anymore. We're appearing normal. I don't want normal. We're not called to be normal. I want to ask God and have Him have the... the I want to have the sensitivity with the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me to sensitize me to all of those things around me that He wants me to see. So that on a, on, on a basis of following Him, the holiness comes. I see what's in his word. It's like, yeah, I'd like to do this because it'd make me happy right now, but I know long-term it won't. That's called um, delayed gratification. And it works in every area of life. It's another word for discipline. And we say, this would make me happy right now, but I know long-term it wouldn't. So I'm going to obey him right now, knowing that long-term it will be good. So it's about being holy. And, and some of you are thinking... Yeah, let's do that. Some of you are thinking, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know where I'm at even right now. And I would say, nope, I don't, but God does. And you know what he's saying? Let's get started now. Let's not worry about yesterday. Let's not worry about what's going on. Let's not worry about the bad mistakes you make. Are there going to be consequences for those you might deal with for the rest of your life? Yeah, God can bring good out of that. Let's get started right now. So if you know Jesus, it's about doing everything you can to get closer to him, to love him more, to realize how much he loves you, to have that relationship with him increase so that your spiritual sensitivity is increased so that that holiness comes from the inside out. And if you don't know Jesus, it's not about trying to be holier so that you'll know Jesus. 
It's about knowing Jesus. And it's as simple as saying, God, I want to be one of those children that he's talking about. The children of God. Romans says that um, Jesus came and those who received him. Some didn't. But those who did, he gave the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to become children of God. So you want to be an adop- adopted into God's family, be a child of the king, have those spiritual blinders removed, be able to see. It's as simple as coming to Jesus. And in your own words, just saying, Jesus... I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that I need you. I don't understand it all, but I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. As we read, that lamb without blemish or spot, that sacrifice on the cross that will celebrate Easter in a few weeks. I want that. And to become a child of the king, adopted into his family, and have that power to be able to live, to be called to be stranger in a good way. I'd like you to close your eyes as we pray. Father, we come before you knowing that that holiness seems so unattainable. In the world that we live it, it's it's not it's not the norm. And when we when we follow you, we appear stranger. I pray, I pray that you would give us the courage to faithfully love you. Give me the courage to faithfully serve you. To please you by living honorably. To be a light to this very dark, upside-down world. I pray, Father, for anybody here who's never made that choice, that today would be the day that their world turns upside-down for you that they have that relationship with you because they come to you and receive you as their Savior and say, I don't understand it all, but I want in on that. And claiming you as Savior, trusting that what you did was for them and becoming a child of the King. For those who have already stepped across that line, Father, I pray that we would daily, moment by moment, grow closer to you, know you better and love you more so that that holiness could be transforming us from the inside out. Father, thank you for all that you're doing and for what you're going to do in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.